0: Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Starkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at starkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. All right, well, good morning. Good to see everybody today. I'm so glad that you're here. We're going to continue in the book of James. Uh, So you can find your place in that book, small book over in the New Testament. It's an incredible book, very applicable. It is about a work, a faith that works. And that's what we're going to be talking about. Now today's message topic is something I'm going to spend two weeks on. So your sermon guide on the back shows an outline and we're going to touch on it, but we'll finish that next week. So I need you to be here next week. Sorry. Got to come back to get the rest of it. But I want to tell you uh, that uh, James is an incredible book. And he's already enlightened us just in the first verse that when when that things really get radically different in your life uh, when you uh, allow yourself to be under new management. And in James's case, he said, you know, he's the half brother of Jesus, and he launches this book and he says, "I'm James. I am enslaved. I'm a bond servant to God." and the Lord Jesus Christ. And and he wants you to know that your life will never be what God wants it to be until you just surrender and put your life under new management. And that is the management of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, and then he moves on a little further, and he's going to just make it real to us, and he's going to tell us that the troubles and the trials and the difficulties, the tests in your life, are not pleasant. they and we all experience them. All of us enter those things, but God wants to use those to perfect us, to complete us, and to make us everything that God wants us to be. And sometimes it's just not that much fun. But we are to press on in victory. And so today, uh, James is going to warn us all about something that we all encounter and the word is temptation. James is going to enlighten us about temptation and, and, and he's going to draw our attention to something that we all struggle with and so I think we really need that information today because many of us would say well I kind of know I understand temptation and I understand the enemy and, and, and I know what my temptations are and I, I kind of know all the answers. Well I don't think so. I think there's some things in life that we just need to be reminded of. Some things in life that we need a refresher course, and this is one of them. Now, tell the person next to you, you need a reminder. Now, how do I know what makes me think with conviction uh, and and, and passion that we need a refresher course on temptation and how we can battle well against the enemy? You want to know why? Because our marriages are failing. We have addictions that are enslaving people in our families. We have identity crisis and gender confusion is one of the hottest topics of our culture. And we have sexual immorality and sexual preference confusion like a runaway freight train. And meanwhile, the good stuff, faithfulness to the Lord and his church and his word is at an American historic low. And all of that begins in our battle with temptation. Every bit of that is because of failure in battling the temptations in our life. James is going to say, when you, when you, it's a reality that's universal. It's not just a, a reality for the preacher to be tempted because he's under the spotlight of the enemy because I'm a preacher. It's not just you in your walk of life. It's around the world. It's, it, it is the global pandemic. And that is temptation that, that confronts every single one of us. So yesterday... I took uh, Judson, my grandson, to, I think, the uh, first time I've ever taken him to a, a Tennessee basketball game. It was an amazing first half. And it was, a, it was a great halftime show, all right? And we won. And so here's the thing. Anytime there's two opponents that come together to face each other, one of the things they do is they review uh, game film. They look at kind of the history of the opponent and they evaluate their strengths and they determine their weaknesses so they can play better against them. So they can hopefully become victorious against them. And I want you to know that today and next week we are going to evaluate game film. We're going to evaluate the game film of our enemy, our nemesis, the devil himself. Because we can look at his track record, his history, the ways he conducts himself, and we can learn a lot of information that's very applicable and helpful in our battles against the temptations that he brings against us. Now I want you to know that temptation is not a sin. A sin is a sin. The Greek word is hamartia. That's the sin. The temptation is not the sin. It's our response to temptation that's a sin. I want you to know There's nothing wrong with you if you're tempted. In fact, I'll go a step further. There's something right about you if you're tempted. You see, some people will say, well, I just don't really feel like I'm tempted by anything. It's because you're running with the devil. You ain't tempted because you're doing what he wants you to do. Therefore, you're no longer tempted. There's nothing wrong with you if you are tempted. Uh, One problem is instead of being, when you're tempted, it's because you are on a collision course with the enemy. If you're not tempted, it's because you may be on a uh, collusion cruise with the enemy. You see, you're either walking with him or you're standing against him. And so there's nothing wrong with you being tempted and temptation is not a sin. How do I know that? Because the only perfect, perfect human being that ever walked on this planet was Jesus Christ. And he was tempted and he was perfect. Perfect therefore a temptation does not make you bad it is your response to the temptation that makes that creates sin and makes you uh, unholy before god adrian rogers one of my heroes of the faith this is what he said if you say you are not tempted you are tempting the tempter to tempt you amen that's what that's what it looks like we get prideful i'm just not that tempted you better look out you're tempting the tempter to tempt you Scripture says it this way about our arrogance and pride against, uh, against temptation, about saying things like, well, I would never do that. We see somebody fail in one area or another. Well, I would never do that. You better be very careful about that because Proverbs 16, 18 says this. It says, pride goes before destruction. Pride precedes the fall. In other words, we have to be careful about the position. Now, we should have a spine. We should plant our feet in truth. But when somebody sins and we say we will never do that, we are tempting the tempter to tempt us. So Jesus was tempted. Now, if Satan is bold enough and brash enough to tempt the Son of God with his complete arsenal of temptation, you can better bet he's going to tempt you. Now, if you've ever been tempted by anything in your life, raise your hand. If you didn't raise your hand, we all need to pray for them because it's coming, all right? We've all been tempted. We've all been tempted, and we've failed some, and we've been victorious some of the time. James is going to help us today and next week know how we can be victorious against the temptations in our life. Satan didn't play around with Jesus, and he doesn't play around with you. We're going to see, first of all, what temptation looks like. Because it only comes in three categories. There's three primary flavors of temptation in your life. That's it. There were three primary temptations in Jesus' life. Now listen what, what we learn in Hebrews 4:15 about the temptation of Jesus. It says, For Jesus, for we do not have a high priest incapable of sympathizing with our weaknesses but one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet without sin say that with me every way now what does that even mean he's been tempted every way the three flavors of temptation the three tools of the enemy the three primary components in his toolbox or in his arsenal now tempted in every way Let's look at First John now, verse, chapter 2, verse 16. And it's going to identify the three categories of temptation in our life. And it was the same for Jesus. It says, because all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh, temptation number one. The desire of the eyes, temptation number one. Number two, and the pride of life or arrogance produced by material possessions are not from the Father, but is from the world. That is the three, those are the three primary categories of temptation in our life the lust or the desire of the flesh, the lust or the desire of the eyes, and the pride of life or the pride because we have material possessions. Now you say, well, how do you know those are the three categories? Okay, we're looking at game film. Let's look at how the game film, when Satan approaches, Jesus with temptation in Luke chapter 4 we find it now Jesus has just been baptized he's about 30 years old he's lived a perfect life but his ministry has not been uh, unveiled It hadn't been launched yet. So it's inauguration day of his ministry. He's about 30 years old. He goes and he sees John the Baptist baptizing people. He enters the Jordan River and says, hey, I want to be baptized by you. John doesn't really want to do it. Jesus tells him he has to. So he, he baptizes Jesus in the Jordan. And his ministry is ready to begin. He comes up out of the water, and we know it's a significant moment because one thing that doesn't happen a lot, when it does, it's a huge thing. The Trinity shows up. Jesus, the Son of God, is standing in the water. The Holy Spirit of God descends like a dove and lands on him. The Father God speaks from heaven and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Now, if you read the rest of the story, immediately it says, immediately Jesus is led straightway into the mountain, into the wilderness to be tempted. All right. This is where it begins. Luke chapter four, we find out the three categories of temptation applied to Jesus, just like 1 John chapter 2 said, and here it is, the first temptation. Jesus has fasted and prayed with God, getting ready for his ministry. He's 40 days into his unveiling of his ministry. Needless to say, he's hungry, maybe hangry, all right? 40 days, and Satan shows up. In, In his presence, he says, listen, why don't you turn these rocks? And the rocks in that land look like loaves of bread, just small, round, smooth stones. He says, why don't you turn these stones into bread? We'll have us a sandwich. I mean, I would have been first to say, yeah, I'm in. Okay, we got some peanut butter and jelly. We don't want some meat. What we got? I'm, I'm ready for a sandwich. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus responded differently, and he recognized that Satan's first category, a desire of the flesh. He was hungry. Satan brought a desire of the flesh. Secondly, Satan brings temptation number two. He takes him to the pinnacle, and he says, listen, you see all of these kingdoms of the world, they're mine. Adam gave them to me at the great exchange in the garden of failure. And they're mine. But if you'll worship me just a little bit, I will give them, transfer them all to you. Lust of the eyes. Jesus sees the kingdom, but he didn't take the bait. Number three, temptation. He takes him to the temple and he says, he says listen, Jesus' scripture says that God will not allow you to be harmed, that he'll send his angels to, to protect you. Why don't you jump from here? allow the angels to catch you and the whole world will like know that you're God, that you're God's son. And and so temptation category number three, the pride of life. Jesus encountered all of those categories, but I want you to know that's not the first time we find the trifecta of temptation. If we go back to the very beginning of the Bible, we have really two good chapters. We got two good chapters and Jesus, excuse me, God creates everything and he says six times it's good. He said, whoo, that's good, 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 good. And then he says, it's very good. You know what that means? It was good. And so God made everything good and perfect and right. Everything's in harmony. Two chapters. And the rest of the book is God making everything right again because of what happened in chapter three. You see, in chapter three, the same serpent, the same enemy that would show up in Uh, in the gospels tempting Jesus he shows up in the garden tempting Adam and Eve now in that chapter you'll remember that God told them what they were, were to do and were not to do God told them they could have anything from the whole garden but they could not have from that one forbidden tree in the garden and so he comes to Adam and Eve and he paints this glorious picture of how good this forbidden tree is categories of sin. You know what Eve said about the fruit on the tree? Says, whoo, it's good to the eyes. Lust, desire of the eyes. She looks and she says, it's excuse me, good for food. It's good for food, lust of the flesh. It's attractive to the eyes. It's the lust of the eyes. And then she says, and it would make one wise the pride of life. The trifecta of temptation categories are the same. And it's the same for you and it's the same for me. Now, here's the difference. Adam and Eve knew the truth and were exposed to the truth because God told them the truth. But Adam and Eve have, had not made a determination to believe with conviction the truth. Therefore, since they didn't believe the truth, they didn't apply the truth. And since they didn't apply the truth, they failed and death entered humanity. On the other hand... Jesus knew the truth because Jesus was the truth. Jesus believed the truth because he had no option but to believe the truth because he was the truth. Jesus then stood with conviction and planted his feet and lived and applied the truth and therefore he was victorious. And I want you to know today that the same option stands before us with every temptation. We can know the truth and many of us, we've got enough information in here about God and his word to change the world. We can know the truth, but if we don't believe with conviction that the truth really is the truth for us, therefore we don't really apply the truth to our life, we won't be victorious either. So you say, well, what is this truth that's so significant that we can defeat the greatest enemy who's ever walked on this planet? His name is Satan. How can we know this truth? It's simple. It is the word of God. The word of God is the truth that defeats the enemy, the temptations in your life. In Luke chapter 4, when he said, let's do the bread thing, Jesus says, it is written. In Luke chapter 4, when Satan says to Jesus, hey, uh, I'll give you all this. Jesus says it is written in verse 12 of Luke chapter 4 Jesus says uh, Satan says to Jesus throw yourself down and let the angels catch you Jesus says it is said Jesus whipped the devil made him leave with his tail tucked between his legs by he went old school to Deuteronomy that's all he did Deuteronomy you don't even know how to spell Deuteronomy you know you know you don't Deuteronomy It's messed up. He went to to the word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit of God into the heart of the man of God whose name was Moses who wrote the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He reached back way old school and pulled out three verses and defeated the enemy. I just think that's kind of cool. He knew the truth. He believed the truth with conviction. He applied the truth and he whipped the devil. And I want you to know the first The first weapon that you should have in your artillery to defeat your temptations is the word of God. And I believe that it's missing today. The word of God is incredible and we have to have it in our life. Ephesians chapter six is the passage about putting on the whole armor of God and so we can live and fight the enemy. He says at the end of that in verse 17 of chapter six of Ephesians, he says, be armed with the sword of the spirit. And then he defines it, which is the word of God. Tell your neighbor, you need to know the word of God. Tell your neighbor, you need to believe the word of God. Tell your neighbor, you need to apply the word of God. Tell your neighbor, or you lose. Loser. You see, we're not doing very good at this, and that's why I'm convicted. We've got to do it like God says, how do I know we're not doing it well? Our marriages are failing. Our business dealings are corrupt. Our country is going down the toilet, and our schools are failing in giving more than just academic instruction because we have walked away from the truth. We live in a world Who never studies the Bible for themselves we live in a world who thinks it's okay to attend a gathering called church once every few weeks and somehow they're going to stand strong we live in a world that's filling our minds with everything other than the truth the sword of the spirit the word of God we fill our minds and our, and our beings with social media postings and with secular music and with the entertainment world and news networks and academics and athletics and every other avenue of information we can gain, we swing the doors wide open. Meanwhile, this is a dust cloth gathering dust on our nightstands and under the seat of our automobile and on our desk and on our shelf. And we Are losing. And we're losing for the simple fact that we've walked away from what gives us victory. Now, let me be really, really clear. The number one way you can find victory over the temptations of the enemy, the number one way is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Okay. Now, if you are new, not as a Christian, You may be old as a Christian, but maybe you're new at handling this book. You don't know how to wield this sword. You don't know what it says. You don't know where to find it. You don't know what the truths are, the the foundations for your life. You're not familiar with it because you haven't devoted yourself to understanding that. You're not hardly ready to wield the sword. You can hold the sword up, quote a scripture to the enemy. He ain't going to back down because he knows what you're made of. I want you to know this is our number one avenue. But until you're ready to fight like a warrior with this sword, there's another alternative. I'm gonna teach you a Greek word called treximo. Everybody say treximo. This is the number two way to defeat the temptations. You know what that means in English? <laughs> Run. Run it's okay to run. If you can't fight well with the sword of the spirit, the word of God, it is okay for you to run from the enemy. You say, well, I'm not afraid of the enemy. You should be. He's a whole lot better at what he does than you are at what you do. <clears throat> he's not good because, because he's good he's, or good because he's smart. He's good because he's old. He's been doing this for 6,000 years, a whole lot more practice than you have. He will win against you unless you know the the word of God. And so you can run. It is okay to run. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 begins like this. So let the one who thinks he is standing be careful that he does not fall. No temptation. Everybody say no temptation. Everybody say that's all of it. The three categories. He says none of them has overtaken you. That has not been faced by others. You're not alone. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you are able to bear. But with the trial will also provide a way out. So that you may be able to endure it. The the Greek word for the way out means egress, exit, or a way of clearance. God will make a way out. You say, not my temptation, I've been in temptation, I couldn't find the way out. You weren't looking. You were looking in the flesh. You weren't looking in the spirit. You didn't wield the sword of truth and you didn't run. You were thought you could fight that flesh battle in the flesh. You cannot. You are fighting a spiritual nemesis. You are, you are fighting a spiritual warfare and you're trying to do it in the flesh. You will never win. You will lose in the flesh when you fight a spiritual enemy. So sometimes it's okay to run. 1 Thessalonians 5, 22 says this. 21, 22 says, examine all things, hold fast to what is good, stay away from every form of evil. Walk away, get away, egress, exit, find clearance from every form of evil. You see, there's things in our life that on the surface ain't that bad, but it's got a whole lot of evil likeness in it. The Bible says, stay away from it all because it will bite you. In 2 Timothy 2, it says this, flee, run from youthful passions and pursue righteousness. In 1 Corinthians 6.18, it says, flee or run from sexual immorality. In 1 Timothy 6.11, it says, flee or run from a love of money. In 1 Corinthians 10 14, it says, flee or run from idolatry. Sometimes to be a champion, we need to be a champion at the art of escape. Sometimes our best defense against the wiles of the devil, that's what the Bible calls it, and that's what they are, the wiles of the devil. Our best defense sometimes, if we're not prepared for a particular temptation with the sword of the spirit, the best defense mechanism is simply to escape, and God will always make a way of escape. He will always get you out. Just this week, God gave me a beautiful illustration of that. I took my little grandson major boy major boys about 18 months old and and my my grandchildren are amazing you think yours are mine really are and uh and i had my little grandson and i put him in the car seat and i strapped him in he was fine man he he was conformant compliant i put him in the car seat strapped him in buckled him up real good snugged it up he was fine walked around and got in the driver's seat i didn't even make it out of the driveway he said papa and i said yeah And all of a sudden, he just amps it up. This is what he does. If he doesn't get the, if if you're not excited about responding as he is about calling your name, he amps it up. So he says, Popo. I said, yeah, buddy. He said, out. (laughs) And it dawned on me. I said the same thing I always say. I said, I'm going to get you out. We're almost there. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, that's it. When you're in the middle of a temptation and you're trying to wield this sword of the spirit and you're trying to find your way out so you can run, you just say, Lord, Lord, out. And you know what he'll say? I'm gonna get you out. We're almost there. Isn't that good news? I want you to know you do not have to live a defeated Christian life getting beat up by the enemy because Jesus Christ conquered him on the cross of Calvary. He rose from the dead demonstrating his victory over death, hell, and the grave and the devil. And God loves you more than the devil hates you. God is on your side and he will give you a way of escape. And so Being tempted is not a sin, it's our response to temptation that is a sin. So about a long time ago, I was in sales and I was a young man. And I had Florida as part of my territory. I was in Miami. You know Miami. I go to Miami, I'm I'm cool, right? I'm driving a fancy company car, all right? I've got a phone in my car. Spoiler alert, young people, they weren't always there. They were screwed to the floor, and you had a bag connected to it if you wanted to get it out. I had one, me and like the president of the United States. Very few people had a car phone. I had one, all right? I'm in Miami driving a fancy car, young man with, with, with a phone in my car. I was, I, that's my life, all right? I pulled up to a traffic light in Miami, minding my own business, headed to see a customer. I looked over, and there's a young girl over there about my age, and she's smiling at me like she knew me forever. I just smile back. Pretty girl. She was operating a food cart. She turned around. She was wearing a thong. Who wears a thong with no pants over them at a food cart? Somebody's wanting to sell a lot of food or something else. That's who. Now, I'm at the crossroads. Was I tempted because she was a good looking woman wearing a thong on the street corner? Was that was it a sin? No. Was it a temptation? Maybe. Now I'm at the crossroads. And I've got, I don't, I could put down the window and wield the sword of truth, put some scripture on her. I wasn't ready to do that. Okay. I had another option. Treximo, run, light, turn green. I could either turn right, make another loop, say, you know, it's 10 a.m. I could, I could use an early lunch. I didn't do that. I drove away. Now, I didn't sin, but I was tempted. My response would determine that. Just a few years later, I was in the only other city I ever went to that I thought was more uh was rougher than miami memphis memphis is rough and raw all the bad people they kick out of miami they move to memphis and i'm in memphis i'm in memphis and i'm checking out I'm checking into a hotel rolled in there i didn't travel I, i'd leave late so i could be with my family i rolled into the delta just crossed the river at memphis and and i was checking into a holiday inn nice holiday inn bad area i, I pulled in there about 11 o'clock And I walked to the desk. Ain't nobody there but me and the clerk. I got my room, got my key. They said, the elevator's right down here. I walked down, nobody in the hall. I walked down, nobody there. Ding, elevator came open. I got in the elevator, nobody there. Door closed, and there she was. Same woman from Miami. Not really, but could have been. Could have been. She's smiling at me. She's looking good. You know what she said? Hey, would you like some company for tonight? I said, well, yes, I would, but she's at home with my two daughters. And then she started talking, I don't have to stay all night. I could stay for just a little while. And I mean, was I tempted? Yes, I was. And I'm thinking, where's my way of escape? She's got me captive in a five-by-five five room. And all of a sudden, ding, the door opened. God, let, God dinged me to give me my way of escape. Door opened. Man, I fled out of there with my bag. I got in the room. And Kendra remembers I called her as soon as I got in the room. You ain't going to believe what happened you know and and so I want you to know today that with every temptation God is faithful he will make a way of escape we just have to be willing to build our lives on the truth of God's word and if we can't battle it by wielding this sword we battle it by being willing to run and quite honestly we've lost the art of escape and we have simply caved in to the enemy now James is going to begin to tell us some things about temptation. He's going to tell us where they come from, and he's going to tell us where they don't come from. He wants us to know in the, this week and next week that we don't have to wave the white flag of surrender when temptation comes. He wants us to know that we don't have to tap out every time the, 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 the enemy seems to get us in a hole that we can't get out of. We can be victorious. You can be victorious. Look at your neighbor and say, you can be victorious. Some of you need to hear that. Listen, God is telling you through his inspired, inerrant, infallible, eternal word, you don't have to lose against the enemy. You can walk in freedom and in victory because Jesus has defeated your enemy. Now you need to get that and you need to hear that. I'm convinced that what this world needs It's not another great politician. It's not a stimulus package. It's not a reduction in taxes. It's not a reduction in fuel prices. It is a revival in the church. Not a revival among lost people. They hadn't been vived. You got to be vived before you can be revived. You got to be saved before you can be revived. I'm talking about in the church. We need revival. We need a fresh anointing, a fresh encounter with the living God, where we're all of a sudden more afraid of God and, and sacrificing his holiness on the altar of pleasure, sacrificing ourselves before the enemy, where we're more afraid of God than we are the enemy, a revival that radically changes our faithfulness to the Lord, his word and his church. A revival that radically changes our commitment to lost people and unchurched people. A a, a revival that changes our pursuit of holy living before a holy God. Where we realize I have tasted of the world and it came up bitter. I want to taste and see that the Lord is good again in my life. I I want to just have a hunger for the holiness and for what God wants for my life. We need that in our church today because quite honestly, young people, we haven't been doing a great job passing the baton. We've become compromised and complacent in our convictions to a God so good. And so when it comes to temptation, the title of the message this week and next week is Bait and Switch. Anybody familiar with that term? Raise your hand. If you've ever been in the car business, you probably are. If you've ever been in marketing, you probably are. Bait and switch, by definition, is kind of this, an illegal marketing practice. When a product is offered to entice interest, but upon further investigation, the information was intentionally misleading. Practically, it looks like this. You may have picked up a newspaper back in the day at New Year's or Christmas, and they say, hey, end of year sale, Pickup trucks over here at the Chevrolet dealership for $10,000. And normally they're going for $20,000. And man, you're enticed. You're lured in. You've been baited. You show up and they said, we just sold the last $10,000 truck. But we have this $22,000 truck that we're willing to sell for 18 dollars And look at that banger you're driving around in, that sled that you call a vehicle. Okay? And they talk it's bait and switch. They put the lure out there, the bait out there, and you come to get it and they switch it and they give, something, give you something else. That's what temptation is. That's what the enemy does. He's the oldest performer of the bait and switch uh, technique. Temptation offers something that's too good to be true. Temptation is a false picture of reality. Temptation magnifies the benefits while disguising the consequences. Temptation convinces you that it is worth the consequences. Temptation says you are above the consequences. Temptation tells you that it's going to be all right. Now, if you've ever failed to a temptation in your life, and you know what I just said is true, just say amen. I got to beg for amens. I hate that. It's the truth. It's the truth. That's not fabricated at all. It is how the enemy operates. It's his modus operandi every time it's what he does and he does it better than anybody else so now let's look and see what james says about our temptation source the point on the back of your worship guide number one is this the primary source of temptation what is the primary source of temptation james is going to tell us what it is what it is not are you ready the first part we'll be okay with the second part we don't want to hear That's why we're going to read it. It says in verse 13, let no one say when he's tempted. Everybody say, that's me. That's you. This voice says, let no one. don't, Don't ever do this. Don't let anyone say when he's tempted, I am tempted by God. Never say that. Why? James is going to tell us. Because God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one with evil. The second part we don't like. Verse 14 But each one, everybody say, that's me. When he or she is tempted, he is lured and enticed by his own desires. So it's not God's fault. It's our fault. You know we don't like to hear that. You know we don't like when that truth is spoken to us. It's our responsibility. The blame game is over. Can't blame. It. We can't blame it on God. Now, what why is that significant that God says he doesn't tempt and he can't be tempted? God is the creator. There's only one creator. His name is God, Yahweh. Everything else is part of the created order. The created order can never offer the creator something he does not have. The creator who has access and and, and knows all things can't be enticed by something that his creation offers him because he's complete already. He's fulfilled already. He's perfect already. So there's nothing to allure him or entice him away from his perfect throne. At the same time, he's never done anything wrong. So the enemy can't hold something over his head to say, ah, you failed before. If you don't do this, I will expose that. He's never failed. So there's no leverage on God. He's perfect. He cannot tempt and therefore he does not tempt. Secondly, we cannot blame God for our environment. And boy, do we live in a world that wants to blame our temptation and our sinful decisions on our environment. Well, if I had a father in my life like you, well, if I had a father and a mother, well, if I lived in this neighborhood, if I went to that school, if I had a higher IQ, if I didn't have this disability in my life, if, 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 if my environment was different, I would be a better person. Let me just tell you, there's a Greek word for that, baloney. It is not true. It is not true. Do not believe the lie that you are a product of your environment. Don't get me wrong. Your environment affects who you are, but your environment does not determine who you are. There's a chasm of difference between being affected by your environment and determined by your environment. You are to be determined by the God who whispered your existence and so we need to learn that it's not God's fault and the blame game is over. How do I know that, that the blame game is over? Because the blame game was over before it ever started and the environment argument was over before it ever started. How do I know? In the, in the Bible, it begins when Genesis, the book of beginnings, we got two good chapters, one and two. And then The rest of the Bible is God's letter of making everything good again. In the first two chapters, everything's perfect, but something happens, all right? The environment was perfect and failure snuck in. The environment didn't make them, didn't determine them to be right with God. Their environment was perfect, but their own desire within them caused them to fall, to fail, and to bring death into their own life. And so the environment didn't change it. But I want you to know the blame game didn't work either. You'll remember that Adam and Eve were created as image bearers, perfect image bearers of God. And they walked naked before God, unashamed, in communion, in an intimate relationship with Yahweh, God. And on this particular day, Mr. Crafty shows up who was lucifer the anointed angel in heaven banished from heaven onto the earth would become satan or the devil he shows up as what the bible says that the most crafty of all god's creation the, the craftiest of all mr crafty shows up and he, he comes to adam and eve who had been given instruction about the forbidden tree and he comes to them and he begins to lure and bait and entice them based on their own desires and he used the three categories now what was their response well they failed they bought the lie they didn't see the hook they got snared and they got drawn in and the temptation became a sin god comes into the garden and they're hiding in the bushes because they're ashamed and god said where are you he wasn't looking for a revelation of where they were he was looking for a confession about who they were because he knew they wanted he wanted them to confess their sinful condition and so they said we were hiding in the bushes because we're ashamed we were naked he begins to have a conversation about it, and this is what he says, "Adam, what is this you have done? You know what Adam says? Blame game number one. It's that woman you gave me. Men, you ready? It ain't your wife's fault. If it was anybody's wife's fault, it would have been his. Here's a guy who spent the first part of his life like naming animals: Mr. and Miss Zebra, Mr. and Miss Giraffe, Mr. and Miss Cheetah. Ain't no Miss Adam. I'm lonely. God puts him to sleep. He wakes up married. Wakes up married, not to just some woman, to what Adam would call, whoa, man. All right? She's, she's bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She a hot tamale, I'm in love. All right? And, and so he had, every, if, if anybody can blame it on their wife, he's like, here's the most beautiful woman in the world. Sure, she's the only one, but she's the most beautiful one. And she's more beautiful than all of the animal kingdom. She was made for me. She's standing there naked with an apple in her hand. What's a guy to do? It doesn't hold any weight. And then he goes to Eve. Eve, what is this you've done? And he says, it's that serpent that you made. Blames God, blames the serpent. And then he goes to the serpent, and the serpent realized he didn't have any legs to stand on, so he just kept quiet. That went over most of y'all's head right there. It's a snake, come on. Anyway, it didn't work then and it doesn't work now. You cannot blame God, you cannot blame others. Let's just practice something. Just say this, say, hey God, it's my fault. He's been waiting for some of you to say that for a long time, but we live in a world that doesn't want to own responsibility to take ownership in who we are. And so James is going to tell us, he says, listen, it doesn't come from God. And then he says, I'm going to tell you where it does come from. Deep within you is where it comes from. It's your own desire that gets out of sorts. It's your personal desire, which is where the temptation comes from. It's in you. You see, God created you as part of his glorious design with natural, common, normal, beneficial desires, right? If it's cold outside, he placed in you a desire to find warmth. If you're hungry, he placed within you a natural desire to pursue something to eat. If you're tired, he put in you a natural desire for rest or for sleep. If you're lonely, he put in you a natural desire for you to find companionship. He he put a natural desire in you for an intimate relationship of someone of the opposite sex. It's how God created man and woman to become one in flesh and therefore procreate. A very natural, a very normal, a very good God-designed thing is desire that's in you. But James says that temptation comes from when you are enticed or lured away from your own desires. What happens is sin is a, is a product of temptation, which is a product of inappropriate desires that have developed in our life. Okay? An example would be somebody who is addicted to pornography. It's not that there not, should not be a desire for a man to be attracted to pornography. Uh, Somebody of the opposite sex physically, and a woman shouldn't be attracted to somebody of the opposite sex, a man. It's not that that's a wrong desire, but somewhere along the way in this person's journey, an experience, a failure to another temptation, or something happens in their life, and all of a sudden, that particular desire has an imbalance. It's a natural desire, but it's been amped up. And so, because of that, the enemy watches your life. If you're that person, he's been watching your life, your decisions, your proclivities, the things that you are allured by, the things you are drawn away by, and that's where he just floods you with opportunities to bait and switch and entice you away from a normal desire. I'll tell you one, I struggled with that for years in my life, and God gave me victory, and if you struggle with that, God will give you victory, he'll set you free something that I struggle with eating it's a natural desire if we stopped eating we die there's my argument for eating I don't want to die right now I'm going to eat again okay I mean I weigh 200 and too much and it's because I have a natural desire that's a little out of balance now I could blame it on my mom because she's an unbelievable cook isn't she Kendra I could blame it on my mother-in-law because we should all blame blame everything on our mother-in-laws. And I could blame it on her because she's a great cook. I could blame it on my wife because she's a product of my mom and her mom. She's the best cook there is. And she's amazing, all right? But she don't make me eat it. She just allures me, entices me, and baits me. And based on my own natural desire. Now, what gave me an imbalance that I feel like I need to eat too much? I was raised with three brothers. I'm the smallest one in the bunch to this day, okay? When I was growing up, you eat because there's still food in the bowl. You could eat all, you could be just, you could be sick at your stomach. You ate, because my mom cooked a lot of food. You could eat until you were just sick. And if there was one piece of pie left, and you're the first one to finish the first piece, you eat piece number two, because later you're not going to have an option. One of those other animals are going to eat it before you get it. And so it developed in my life some patterns of excessive behavior based on a natural desire. So what does the devil do? He well, throws, he throws everything, appetizers, desserts. He throws it all at me. You know, that manly ice cream I told you about last week. I mean, he throws it all at me, right? And, and, so, and so today, that's the world we live in. Maybe today somebody's uh, tendency is to be drawn away or lured by Uh, homosexuality or a a gender identity crisis somewhere along the line something happened in that person's life where a natural desire had situations encountered circumstances made decisions that put them on a journey where a normal desire became a a broken uh, an amped up desire a confused desire built on a faulty foundation and that is what bait and switch looks like uh James says in verse fourteen, when he is lured and enticed by his own desires, I want you to look at your neighbor and say, Hey, my sin is my fault. (laughs) That's the book stops here. My sin is my fault, not your fault, not Kendra's fault, not God's fault, it's not the devil's fault, it's my fault. I have desires in my life that I'm enticed and drawn away to do what I should not do that is not holy and respectable before God. And we have to own that. So we find ourselves at the end of this message. And what do we do with this revelation? I hope and pray that you already knew all of this. And I hope and pray that you take up the sword of the spirit and you fight well. I hope and pray that if you can't fight well, you've already learned the art of escape and you run and flee from temptations that come into your life. I don't believe that's true for most of us. I believe we've failed way too many times against the wiles of the devil, the temptations of the enemy. I believe there's too many days that go by where we live defeated rather than victorious. And I want you to know it will never change until we get to a place where we go before God and we simply say to God, God, my sin is my fault. Every unholy act, every unrighteous thought, every wicked deed. It's not because of my environment it's not because of other people in my life it's not because of you it's me and god i confess to you that it's my fault today i take ownership for my failures but god i don't want to walk in that tomorrow god on this day i want to be set free I want the shackles to be broken away. I want the ball and chain of my sin to be taken away from me. I want to to fly in freedom. Freedom that is offered to me from you. You can't tempt me, but you can deliver me. And so I receive your deliverance today. Help me walk in righteousness. Help me move away from the sins help me battle well help me learn your word help me learn to run help me live for you from this day forward and when we do that it's the beginning it's it's that place where we step into a new dimension of our journey with God and in that journey freedom is found and I'll tell you this much I hate the devil but I'll tell you what I love victory over the devil and Jesus is offering us that I'm telling you it's real no matter what your hang-up is if it's some kind of sexual confusion if it's immorality if it's some kind of addiction alcohol or pills or some kind of drugs or if it's gossip or lying or anger whatever that thing is whatever that thing is you can be free today because God has said it to be so. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, you are so good that you would choose to love us in the middle of all of our mess, all of our sin, all of our improper activities and thoughts. God, in this very room today, I know that there are strongholds Decisions that have been made over time, choices that have evolved, that now it's not a choice. The choice is, has us. It seems that way. It seems like we're in bondage to that thing. Your word says who Christ sets free is free indeed. So God, I, I want your spirit to encourage the hearts of those who struggle, and that's most of us that we can be free, that we no longer are required to be bound to the enemy. We have bought the bait and switch and help us run to you for truth in Jesus name, amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast And visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.